This week, I uh, had a wonderful opportunity um, to catch up with a good friend of mine. Uh, we don't uh, we don't get to see each other as much as we'd like to, but you know it's one of the, he's one of those friends that uh, whenever you get together you just kind of you just kind of pick up where you left off. You never missed a beat. It doesn't matter if it's you know six days, six weeks, six months, six years. You just pick back up. And uh, I I called him a few weeks back, and he said, "Well, touch base with me in a month. I should be free." So I did, and uh, we hung out for a couple hours um, this week, and uh, it's one of the uh, one of the most uh, formative um, people in my life. He, he's one of the most spiritually transformative people in my life. Like the Holy Spirit just uh, just pours through him into my into my soul, uh, and it, 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 he's always such a blessing. Every time uh, I'm with him, and so we we were d- together for a couple hours this week, and uh, we got finished, and and uh, he had to go back to work, and I had to go back to work, and. Um, uh, so, uh, we prayed and went our separate ways and man, the rest of the day, I mean, I was, I was, I was, I was hovering over the ground. I mean, I was, I was, I was, I was invincible, you know, you, you know, that feeling. And, uh, th- this guy's, uh, this man's name is, uh, Robert Smith. Um, Dr. Smith is, uh, my preaching professor, uh, Beast Divinity School. So I've known him for, uh, uh, we, we both realized uh, this week, um, a lot more years than, than I wanted it to be uh, since I was in school. But uh, tw- 25, almost 30 years uh, that, that I've, I've known Dr. Smith and uh, enjoyed his, his friendship and just been, been blessed by him, by his ministry, uh, by his teaching. Um, and that wasn't automatic, right? I mean, you don't just... You don't just meet like if you know during our during our handshake time in the morning. If you meet somebody that you that you've never met before, you don't say, "Hey, you're going to be the person the Holy Spirit pours into my life to over the next thirty years." Nice to meet you. You know that's not really how that works, right? I mean, it, it, it's it's a long process of uh, of uh, learning to walk together, learning about each other, about each other's families, um, and the. And the the first thing I know, noticed about Dr. Smith, the first impression he made on my life, the first day of, uh, of preaching class, you know, and I, I'd, uh, I, I, I had preached before and, you know, and when you're, you know, when you're as young as I was at that point, you know, you know everything, right? And uh, you have to live a little life to figure out how little you actually know. And uh, praise the Lord, I've learned lots of times how much, I, how little I know, uh, but um, I was sitting in class with him that day, and the, the intro day of, of, uh, of preaching class was the history of Christian preaching. Small topic, right? I mean, this, this, this was in the year, so it had been going on for, you know, it had been going, going on for almost 2,000 years at this point. Um, and, and so he comes in, he's, he's got no notes, a whiteboard, and he just starts writing. And looking at us at the same time, which is weird because I really only thought Al's could do that, you know, spin the head. But he just goes, you know, and he's given dates. You know, that's always the hard part in history class, right? Do we have to know the dates? Yeah, no, no. Can I just know the events? Do I have to know the dates? No, you, you got to know the dates. That's why they call it history, right? So he's throwing dates up there and, and the pivotal moments in Christian preaching, how the practice of Christian preaching came about. And uh, on top of throwing dates on it, man, then he starts just throwing out scripture. 
I mean, in, in an hour and a half class, he probably, he probably put up a hundred scriptures. No notes. And man, I'm just sitting in his class. What are you? Well, he's a man that's in love with Jesus. And that had made an impression on his life. And I walked out of that class going, I got I to gotta learn the Bible. And, and I've got to memorize Scripture. And, and I've got to understand, like not just memorize, but I've got to understand what it means. And so we went through that semester and I preached for him a few times. And, and he was, he was an awesome instructor. He's super encouraging, but also uh, helps you get better. Uh, and that's a tricky thing, right, to, to help you realize where you're not strong, but do that in a way that you feel edified. That's tough, and he's gifted. So uh, we did that, man, and then he met my wife, and I met his wife, and now our families are friends. And over the years, man, we just, we just developed this bond, this, this life-giving bond. Um, and the Lord blesses us with that in our life. That's why the church is a community. The Lord blesses us with that in our life. He, he gives people into our lives for the Holy Spirit to, to speak through, to, to move through, uh, and to encourage us toward spiritual maturity through encouragement, through exhortation, and through example. And you need that, and I need that. It doesn't matter if you've been walking with Jesus 15 seconds, 15 years, or more years than you can count. You still need that. I still need that. And we all need people to serve as mentors in faith, tutors to to train us to convert orthodoxy into orthopraxy, right belief, so that right belief becomes right practice. Paul knew that. And Paul did this with his churches, but Paul didn't do this with any of his churches more so than he did with the Philippian church. So we're going to be taking a tour a little bit through the book of Philippians today. We'll be reading a lot of scripture uh, because that's going to say more powerful stuff than I'm going to say to you. So we'll use the Bible a lot. The Philippian church was Paul's first church in Europe. While you're flipping over there, it's the New Testament. Um, It was Paul's uh, first church in Europe. He had his first European uh, converts there. Paul was not uh, planning to go to Macedonia where Philippi was. Uh, he wanted to go into Asia. The Holy Spirit said, no, go to, uh, go, go, to, uh, go to Macedonia. Paul has a dream of a Macedonian uh, telling him to come and bring us the gospel. You can read all about this in the book of Acts. Uh, and so Paul goes there. He goes there on his second missionary journey. He goes there on his third missionary journey. He corresponds with him often. Um, F- Philippians is one of those letters, but it wasn't the only letter. There are places in the book of Philippians where uh, we, we see evidence that Paul has uh, been uh, in contact with them often. Uh, Paul sent them Timothy as an example. He sent them Timothy as, as an encouragement. They sent him Epaphroditus as a minister to encourage Paul. And Paul sent Epaphroditus right back to say, hey, this is how it's going. Love you guys. Thank you for supporting me. And so there's a mutuality here between Paul and the Philippian church in which the Holy Spirit moves and builds them both up. The Philippian church, though far from wealthy, was the most loyal and faithful, the most consistent contributor to Paul's ministry, to, uh, to Paul working to advance the gospel in the world uh, of all the churches that Paul had planted. They repeatedly supported him financially, repeatedly supported him 
spiritually. And as a result, Paul maintained this this pastoral shepherding, this care for their spirits, this care for their hearts, so that he could provide encouragement to them, that he could give them guidance towards spiritual growth and maturity. And you and I have the opportunity to do that in the context of the church today, to be those kinds of people to others and to receive that kind of ministry from others. But how do we do this? How did Paul do this? Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start there. And like I said, we're going to read a lot. And the first thing that, uh, that is significant here, in, beginning in chapter 2, is identifying the standards and models the standard and models for spiritual maturity. And Paul wisely makes his first model Jesus. It's a good decision. Start with Jesus. And so we see in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, he says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, in Christ is a great statement, uh, a great phrase that Paul uses in multiple letters. Uh, I can't unpack all that in this sermon, maybe in the next one, uh, but this in Christ idea, I mean, we are found in Christ, we trust in Christ, we place our confidence in Christ. It's, it's a beautiful phrase for Paul. Uh, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, be in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or, or, conceit, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. All right, so if we were just to stop reading right there, and you know, you just thought maybe you didn't have anything to work on this week. I mean, just kind of try and work through Philippians 2, 1 through 3, right? I mean, that's, a, that's, that's years of work uh, trying to bring about what Paul's saying. Uh, right here. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What that phrase really kind of means there is uh, have this thought, have this thinking in you that is in you because you are in Christ. Right, so that we have a redeemed and a sanctified mind that we can think with the mind of Christ because the Holy Spirit is within us. And because that's true, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we begin with Jesus. The, the standard and model for spiritual maturity begins with Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, if I don't have Jesus, we got nothing. I mean, we're just running around chasing our tail. If we're not in Christ, we have no hope for spiritual maturity. We have no hope for spiritual comfort. We have no hope. 
And so Paul begins with Jesus. You know, usually when us preacher types put together sermons like this, we try and say, you know, like the, the hard gospel push to write at the end kind of a deal. But I'm, I'm going to start with it today. Because if we don't start in Christ, we're not starting. If we're not in Christ, we're, we're nowhere. If we haven't come to the point that we realize that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And that he is our hope, he is our freedom, he is our redemption, he is our deliverance. And because of that, we can approach this model of spiritual maturity that Paul has put for the Philippians and for us here. And so in this section, in this, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, Paul identifies a few things for us here. He exhorts the church toward unity. He exhorts the church uh, toward encouraging and serving one another. He exhorts them to, uh, to set aside uh, uh, their own agendas, to walk in humble obedience, to give of themselves. And I know if I, if I ask you to say it out loud, are you good at this? Yeah, man, I'm awesome at that. I set aside my own agenda all the time. I submit to Jesus like that. But we don't, do we? I mean, if we, if we're, if, if we answer it honestly, in the part of our heart where we know the sins that, that we have that nobody else knows, in the part of our heart where we know ourselves better than anyone else knows ourselves except Jesus. We know how difficult this can be for us. Even when we're in the church, to set aside agendas, to set aside uh, me-firstness, right? That's, that's probably not a word, but we're gonna, we'll make it. Uh, to, to, set, to set aside this, the, uh, this, this self-centeredness that may not even be because we feel like we're the most important person in the world. We just feel like our opinion's right. You know, I'm not saying your way is wrong. I'm just saying my way's better. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but I mean, look, if anybody had any right, any right to position, to place, to privilege, if anybody had a right to that, it's Jesus. But Paul says very clearly in this, in this Christ hymn that he includes in this section Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped or something to be clutched, something to be grabbed and held onto. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And then being found in human form was crucified for us. That's humble service. And I don't know a lot of you, and you don't know a lot of me, and, 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 and that's okay, but I'm just going to wager, just because we're human, that maybe we don't have that down completely yet. That maybe we don't have that level of humility in our service done quite yet. And so Paul gives us this model to be humble and selfless service to others. To be accountable in gospel community. And to walk in obedience, growing in the mind of Christ that we have because if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. 
And so here in Philippians 2, Paul is already sending us out, the believers and followers of Christ, he's sending us out to model spiritual maturity to those around us. And the beautiful thing about the church, the beautiful thing about the church, there's lots, but one is there's always going to be somebody that's further down the road spiritually than you. And there's always going to be someone coming behind you. For every one of me, there's going to be a Dr. Smith who has years of decade, and decades of wisdom, of, of experience walking with the Lord that he is willing to pour into me. But there will also be people coming behind me that I have the opportunity to pour that into as well if I will follow the example of Christ that Paul has given us here. But here's the good news. One thing that you don't have to be to model spiritual maturity for other people is perfect. Because if, if that were the case, we pretty much start and stop the conversation with Jesus. But Paul, in the next chapter, uh, in verse 17 and 18, chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, Paul sets himself an example. Brothers, join in imitating me. Now, I've got to be completely honest. When I was younger, when I was a teenager, um, I may have had a small ego issue. Maybe. You know, I didn't think so, but I did hear it from others. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, uh, but, and this always bothered me. Join in imitating me, how great does that guy think he is? Ooh, look at me. And that, trump, that bothered me for a long time. That's really not what Paul is saying. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those, so not just Paul, who walk according to the example you have in us. So don't imitate me because I'm great. Imitate me because I try. To follow. Imitate me because my heart is to please Christ. Imitate me because I want to look more like Him every day. And some days I take a step forward, some days I take a step back, but imitate me in the desire to become like Christ. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And you know what this tells us? You've got to be careful who you, pick, who you choose to imitate. You've got to be careful who you choose to imitate. I mean, just, just think about some questions that might be helpful here. Why do you want to imitate said person? Because they're popular? Because they have a following? Because other people are imitating them and you want to fit in? Because they're rich and you want to be rich? Because they're famous and you want to be famous? These are not good reasons. Why does Paul say to imitate him? Because I'm walking in the example of following Christ. You're not imitating me because I'm great or because you want to be me. You're imitating me because I don't want to be me. I want to be like Christ. I mean, and, and the awesome thing about this little, this little passage here is that just before this, immediately before this statement, Paul states clearly that he's not perfect at all. Go to the next one. 
That doesn't look like the Bible. There we are. All right. So not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Look, I haven't, I haven't reached Christ's likeness. I haven't attained becoming all in him that I want to be. But one thing I do, instead of focusing on where I haven't, I focus to where I want to go. I focus on where I want to go. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. Look, I don't know if you've ever found yourself doing this, but when you feel like the Lord is calling you to something else in your walk with him, you immediately begin to make up decisions in your head about, I can't do that because look what I did back then. I can't do that because I failed here. I was unfaithful here because I was broken here. No way the Lord could use me that. Appreciate the opportunity, Jesus. I don't think that's for me. If I failed once, I'll fail again. Paul says, leave that behind you. You've been redeemed from that. You've been cleansed from that. Focus on what's ahead and walk toward Christ. I'm not perfect. I haven't gotten there, but follow me. What then is the target for our imitation? The target is press on. Keep going. Look, there's going to be days in your spiritual life. I don't know if you've experienced this already, but if you haven't, I'll just give you a little bit of news. There are going to be days in your walk with Christ where you absolutely stink up the place. Yep. There have been days that, that, that I've, where I've been walking with Christ you know and Lord I just I just absolutely blew that. I chose myself. I chose my agenda. I wanted to be God, not you. I got in the way. And you know what? If I'm really honest about it, I kind of enjoyed it. Because I still struggle with sin. Today I stunk up the place. But there will be days that the Lord sends people into your life, that the Holy Spirit uses people in your life to breathe fresh breath in your lungs, to strengthen your steps as you follow, to, to make the path clear for you to walk with him. Paul says, Press on, focus on those days. Look toward what is ahead, not, to what, not toward what is behind. One of my favorite things the Bible says is that when Jesus separates our sin from us, that he separates, uh, separates it from us as far as the east is, from the West. 
means he is hurling us in complete opposite directions so that we will not meet again. And he remembers it no more. Now, you and I remember it, right? I don't have any problem remembering my sins. You know who reminds you of your sins? You really only have two options here. There's really only two spiritual realities in life. There's God and there's not God. We call him Satan. Do you know who reminds you of your sin over and over again? Remember that time, those years ago? Remember back in high school? Remember that thing you did with those people in that place? You remember that? He can't use you. You know who speaks that into your life? It's not God. He doesn't remember it. If you were in Christ, he sees Christ in you and remembers your sin no more. Look forward. Press on. So what characteristics then should we imitate? Philippians chapter 4, beginning verse 2. Paul is beginning to address some of the issues in the church, specifically in Philippi. And he says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to to agree in the Lord. Uh, These two ladies had had some sort of disagreement here. Paul doesn't tell us what it is, doesn't matter what it is. uh, But it was a big enough deal that it was beginning to affect the church. So I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I know it's hard to believe, but even Christians struggle with that stuff. I know you've never seen that happen before, but it's true. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you, uh, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And that secret is I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can be content because Christ is the source of my strength. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, which was the largest city in Macedonia, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. 
I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So what characteristics should we imitate? What is Paul pointing out to him in pointing out to them in chapter 4. The first thing he he says that we should imitate as believers growing in spiritual maturity is community that perseveres through grace. Community that perseveres through grace. Euodia and Syntyche have a thing. They got a dust up. They got a thing. You know that, that thing? Whatever it was, doesn't matter. I urge you, I entreat you to agree in the Lord. Don't leave. This stuff happens because people are human. Nothing drives me crazier when people walk out of church because people are human and they're not quite perfect yet. Persevere in grace. Don't just expect grace for yourself. Give grace to other people. Persevere in community. The second thing is to live lives of maturity that find confidence in the things of God, not the world. Rejoice in difficult things. Again, I will say rejoice. Those are imperatives in the Greek there. Paul's not saying, hey, you know what would be cool if you could kind of rejoice about this. He is giving them a direct command. Rejoice. I don't care if you feel like it or not. Stop filtering your spiritual maturity through the lens of your feelings. Be faithful because you know it's faithful. Rejoice in Christ. Because on your best day or your worst day, he is still the savior of your soul. Live lives of maturity that find confidence in the things of God, not the world. Think on things that are praiseworthy. Think on things that are are worth worth your mindset, that are worth your attention. And he gives, I mean, you know, Paul, Paul gives us, you know, this, this list of whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if, if anything is excellent, think on those things. Quit, quit looking to point out bad stuff. Bad stuff is going to be there. Regardless of whether or not you have Jesus. But being able to focus on things that are excellent and pure and praiseworthy is the ex- exclusive exi- a gift of those that are in Christ. Let me say that again because I, I butchered that stutter and threw it there. I'm going to try because this should, this should have impact, right? I'm going to try it again. Focusing on things that are pure and commendable and praiseworthy is the exclusive gift of those who are in Christ Jesus. Because if you are not in Christ, there is nothing praiseworthy, there is nothing excellent. Focus on Christ and run to Him. Live lives of maturity that find confidence in the things of God. And then third, embrace charity that is fueled by the gospel. Embrace charity that is fueled by the gospel. There are lots of things that you can give your time and your resources and your effort to. Look for things to give your life to that give the gospel to other people. Because the Bible tells us that that's the only thing that's going to last in the end days. So let me just shorten that for you a little bit to make that point a little bit more memorable. What characteristics should one imitate? Community, maturity, charity. If if you forget those, they're on the columns outside on your way out. 
These are our core values. This is who we are as a church. And it's not just who we are as a church, it's who the church is. Look to imitate people that embody that. But don't be the place that that blessing stops. Look for ways that you can invest in the lives of other people. Hey, by the way, Sandy needs volunteers for VBS. There's four, five, four, five hundred, twelve hundred thousand kids, you know, whatever, however many it's going to be. Most of the city of Birmingham could be everybody in Alabama. I don't know. But there are kids that you can give your time, your talent, or your resources to make sure they hear the gospel. Which, by the way, if they do VBS here, they're getting the gospel. And that's not the only way. We have tons of ministries in and around Birmingham that run through our church that you can give yourself to. Find your place of passion. If your passion's not kids, cool. Find what your passion is and dig into it. But live lives of purpose that run toward Christ and then look for ways that you can pass Christ in the maturity that the Holy Spirit has led you into onto those that he's bringing behind you. In the Christian life, imitators are welcome. And Paul, in this book, has given us examples to follow. But it begins with being found in Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you haven't, ta- and you haven't taken that step, if you haven't embraced the gospel as the only way that you have reconciliation with your creator, the only way that you are forgiven of your sins and made holy and righteous through the work of Christ. If you haven't done that and you want to start walking in spiritual maturity, you can do that this morning. I'll be down here to receive you as the praise team comes up and, they, and, and uh, in the music place. Come down and talk to me. I'd be glad to pray with you. If you want to join the church and be a part of a place that is oriented around community and maturity and charity and running with the gospel as hard as we can to give it to as many people as we can, I strongly encourage you to to consider membership at Double Oak. If you're already a member at Double Oak and you're not in a community group, you haven't connected yourself with a body of believers that will encourage you in walking with Christ, we can help you with that too. But look, don't just sit there on your blessed assurance and do nothing. See what I did there? It's, it's a hymn name, so you can't get mad. The Lord has called you for a reason. The Lord has saved you for a reason. And he means for you to walk in obedience for your good and for his glory. We pray for you. Father, we, we are thankful. We are thankful that you call us. We are thankful that you give us the gift of faith to walk where we have no sight, but we are also so thankful for models that we can follow as we walk in faith with you. Help us to be good followers. Help us to be imitators of you and to press on toward that for which you have called us, not to focus on the things that are behind us. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who hasn't taken that first step of saying, I need Jesus in my life. I need 
righteousness, and I know that I can't earn it on my own. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd move their hearts. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for making us yours in Jesus' name. Amen.